is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. Concert pianist, author, and composer Nicholas Namaratza is a powerhouse pianist who in 2018 won the prestigious Honins competition. He is established on the international performing circuit, where his work has been described across the board of critics as astonishing. Born in Tbilisi, Georgia, he was raised in Hungary and now makes his home in Boston. As a composer, he has produced many commissions and performances for leading artists and chamber ensembles, and a number of film soundtracks, including Walking Painting by Fabian Verdier. In our introduction today, you have heard Nicholas Namaratza playing A Picture from the Fortress Wall from Fragments of Hans Andersen by York Bowen, released on the Hyperion label. These are mini masterpieces of a composer who up to now has often been overlooked. Also of particular mention is Arabesque, Nicholas's new recording which displays his unique artistry of programming in the recital world. Further to the many hats that this stunning musician wears, he is now a contributor to the classical music streaming service, Idagio, in a series about music and mindfulness. Last week in part one of my conversation with Nicholas, we spoke about his journey as a performer and his present work in neuropsychology studying at King's College London, where he has immersed himself in the effects of mental practice and mindfulness on musical performance. Nicholas Namaratza has earned the power to reign in a world based on the combination of musical genius and science. We pick up in part two today, reflecting on his Honin's competition win. So I went for Honin's and I was very lucky to have won it. So I didn't have to do any more competitions after that, thankfully, because because of this win. And I've been very much enjoying the roller coaster of an international career that has followed it. It's interesting. You you talk about this this really speaking to your inner desires, this this competition and the ideals of it. You know, I'm, I'm seeing you now, Nicholas, in another framework. I really saw you before as a scientist. I knew that, that <laughs> you lived equally, you know, between the creative side and, and science. Now I'm starting to look at you uh, pulling in like a monk-like existence, <laughs> which is, is fantastic. I mean, you've had this life in your young years. I, as I understand it, you're, you're still not even 30 years old. Um, <laughs> This is a life that's well lived. This is this is your choice. This is your um, being within music, and it, as you said before, not just trying to survive. You know, mm. it's, and so many lose their way. This is this has been rich for you. Well, what I what I really feel is that um, having an international career like this can be a whirlwind. And one is traveling and jumping from hotel room to hotel room and from concert hall to concert hall. And it's very easy to get caught in a storm. For me, having a very stable center around which all this revolves is really important. And that sense of stability uh, really grounds everything that I do and makes sure that I feel the sense of space. Even in the most hectic moments, there is that sense of space and there's a space between stimulus and response and just this breathing room. I wouldn't call myself particularly 
ascetic uh, in my lifestyle, so to say. And, I, I, you know, I very much embrace the whole spectrum of the experiences um, uh, available to me. I, I'd say perhaps I had a slightly more monk-like life in the, in the interim years before Honans. That was really a time where I, I would, you know, metaphorically, you know, have retreated to the cave, so to say, and just, yes. you know, like uh, very much found that stillness um, to then embrace the the noise and the busyness of a career, you know, fully afterwards. So that was kind of the deep breath before everything else. I wasn't expecting another deep breath in the form of the pandemic lockdowns, right. of course. But of course, I was well prepared for it. And I made the most of this time mm -hmm. by wrapping up my doctorate and then publishing um, essentially the dissertation as a book. And then beginning the next degree and really pursuing um, this project with Idagio um, very intensely. So I've definitely kept myself as busy as possible throughout this time. I, I would say so. You're multitasking on a great level. But yeah, you, definitely. you just said it so well. You went to the cave. You found yourself. You found your inner voice. You've stayed true to it. There's a mm -hmm. whole lot to say for that in this world and to have that control. So let, let's go back to this uh, post Honin's win. Mm -hmm. I know the, your Wigmore Hall uh, debut was, mm -hmm. was heralded. You had fantastic mm -hmm. notices. I mean, mm -hmm. I talk about your reviews as being stunning. You know, we can say that. We can say that in any interview. But you're, you have knockout reviews. People are mm -hmm. bowled over by your playing. Nicholas. Wow, that's very kind of you to mention that. Yeah. Well, well I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that they're well received, of course. That's I'm, very gratifying. I'm quoting yeah. many. I am quoting many from gramophone, you know, down, down the list. But you've also become known for an interesting kind of pairing of, of repertoire in, in mm. your recitals. And if we can just look at the Wigmore Hall uh, recital, I find it really fascinating, you know, mm. from Scriabin to Bach and, and then mm -hmm. on. And you're finding your musical curiosities. Is this something that has always intrigued you? Oh, yes. For me, finding these undiscovered gems of the piano repertoire is always extremely gratifying. First of all, because it's nice to put on the kind of archaeologist's hat and go digging, so to say. <laughs> it's always good fun. But also, I think one of the nicest moments as a musician is being approached uh, by a listener and being told, how have I never heard this piece? It is so yeah. wonderful. I want to be listening to it all the time. And it's been such a discovery for me. You know, so that is really gratifying. Uh, we as pianists are very lucky to have an enormous repertoire of amazing music. But there is so much more that isn't that often played. Um, at Wigmore Hall, for example, I played um, the 12 etudes by York Bowen, mm -hmm. which have probably never been played as a set there or in many most places, uh, and of which I, I made the world premiere recording. But these were pieces written many, many decades ago. Mm -hmm. uh, these are... Uh, stunning concert pieces and very, very effective showstoppers, so to say. And the unanimous reaction was, how have we never heard these pieces before? <laughs> and that's a very, very nice reaction to have absolutely uh, from, from, from uh, listeners. And it does take more work to find these pieces, and it may often take more work to really advocate for them, because there may be reasons why they are not so often played. Correct. But I really enjoy putting that effort in because it's just a lot of fun 
and I don't necessarily always gravitate towards the the well-trodden or sometimes overtrodden right. path right. that is very much in front of us all the time as pianists. did you find the York Bowen pieces? Well, this actually came about through a recording project that I did with the British label Hyperion, uh, which very much uh, champions this rare music mm -hmm. and has done a couple of albums of music of York Bowen. So I was aware of this portfolio of theirs and we had a discussion about these possibilities and this was one of them. And I fished around and found this music and found a whole seed, a whole disc's worth of music that had never been recorded before, all of which I found fascinating and really effective. So I just went for that. And it's, you know, it was quite surreal to be the first to bring this music to, to the, life. to, to, to life and to the recorded, to the, you know, the recorded disc to, to the world of recordings. But uh, it was a very gratifying experience. So you also paired this with some of your own 
compositions? Yes, at Wigmore, uh, the second half of the program was Etudes by Bowen and Etudes by myself. And I think it was an effective uh, combination, of course, because one gets to see the same genre of the etude through different lenses. And that's something I really like to do often in concerts, to present different perspectives on, on the same concept, on the same musical concept, whether it's sonatas or fugues or contrapuntal writing in general or the etude, for example. I have done programs where I just play etudes for the whole program, which is... Rather, um, a tricky task. I think I might have broken a couple of, I might have broken a couple of records for most notes played (laughs) per recital, you know. But, um, but yes, so it's definitely something that I like to do and something that I had presented at Wickmore and several, several recitals during that season. So, uh, yes, of course, to me, my work as a composer is uh, very much central to my life as an artist. And I try to present my own music in the vast majority of the recitals that I play. It's a cunning move, you know, to use your own (laughs) music and maybe a risky one. It's paid off for you. Um, I've read that you studied a composition with John Corleano. Yes. How did he affect your your narrative, your Mm -hmm. voice as a composer? John really taught me how to see the big picture. Mm. Um, He likes to say that, you know, when one composes, or let's say if one's a sculptor, one doesn't start sculpting by creating a, a finger and a fingernail and then this joint and then the next joint. One maps out the broad structure mm-hmm. of the sculpture and then goes into the details. The same with an architect. An architect won't start thinking about the stucco decorations on this column. No, they will first plan out the larger structure and then think about the details. So he really approaches composition in the same way. He he likens writing one note after the other to that idea of maybe doing a fingernail first or a little stucco detail first. What he will literally do is draw out the structure of a piece of music and map the dramatic narrative, the story that he wants to take the listener on before writing a single note. He may have just a image of a piece without actually having any thematic material and then will find the best thematic material for that story, for that journey. Mm-hmm. So this perspective really affected my approach to not only composition, but performance as well, how to see those larger structures much more clearly and understand what are those major arrival and departure points that the composer wants to take 
the listener on and then how does one bring that to life as a performer and then similarly as a composer how does one really define very carefully what the journey is mm -hmm. before then writing the individual the particular notes and one can say the same about the film for example a screenwriter will uh, approach let's say a film through the big story what is the 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 plot and then one will write the dialogue rather than just starting with the dialogue yeah. so that is his perspective of course some composers do it the other way and just you know will start with you know how they think the piece should begin and then see where it takes them so that's like just going through a forest without much of a map and that can yield extraordinary results as well so uh, these are not mutually exclusive necessarily or um, they don't contradict one another or this isn't a value judgment it is just a different way of seeing how to approach the process and one that really very much affected me both as i said as a performer and a composer and so are we going to see much more of Nicholas Namaracha as a composer in the future? Are we going to see the eventual um, film score? Oh, I have done a couple of shorter films, actually. Um, I recently finished a California production, and um, I've done a couple of things in Europe as well, especially in France. Um, I very much enjoy writing for film, and I'm a big film buff. Um, so I would definitely enjoy doing more in that field, but yes, I'm doing lots of composition projects right now, more etudes. I'm doing some chamber music, uh, um, some works for uh, violin and piano and a work for an electronic instrument and piano. It's called an electronic marimba, marimba lumina. I'll be doing an interesting project with this instrument next year. So yes, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping myself very busy on the composition front as well. I recently just finished a arrangement, an arrangement of the Adagio from Rachmaninoff's Second Symphony, which is one of my favorite ever pieces. And I shall be premiering it in Portland on April 2nd uh, at, my, at, at my first of two recitals um, in Portland um, at the beginning of April 2022. So I'm really looking forward to this. And yeah, it will be a lot of fun. This is so exciting. I don't know when you have time to eat and sleep. Um, I don't either, to be quite <laughs> honest. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, it's, it feels like I'm doing four full-time jobs at the you same are. time. So, you yeah. are. So yeah. that brings me to my next question. I mean, where is your piano um, performance um, career within all of this? Is, is this still number one? Or are you yes. just letting the planet spin? <laughs> the piano is still number one. So piano is still number one. And uh, besides piano, I compose and create content for the new mindfulness platform and mm -hmm. go, do my degree in neuropsycho neuropsychology when I can. I'm currently on leave uh, at the moment because there's just too much going on, but I'll, I'll get back to it soon. So, so yes, uh, time is a very precious commodity but i think definitely all the training and meditation has helped me mm -hmm. keep my head on my shoulders through all this so to say We're and still very much enjoy the life i have and my friends and and you know the wonderful cities i get to spend time in and yeah, so I by your really design. It's, all of this is so thrilling to me because it is by your design. So let mm. me lead into the Idagio connection with mm. that. Did you approach them or did they come to you? Well, this happened at the time when I had recently completed my doctorate and had uh, gotten the book deal to publish it with Springer. 
And I was looking towards my next project in this general sphere of maybe writing another book or something. And I was thinking about my training in uh, mindfulness meditation and my research in performance psychology and all the techniques and methods I had developed over the years that I then deployed when I went to Honans and, you know, deployed successfully. I felt that there was a lot that I wanted to give back to the music world because I had felt that when I wanted to learn how to master the mental game, there were really very few resources for musicians. I had to study sports psychology and go into other fields in order to get access to those resources. So I felt that there was something I wanted to do for musicians. And I was first mulling over maybe writing a book about this. And then I thought of maybe creating a kind of meditation app for performers, a kind of headspace Mm -hmm. for musicians. Mm Mm-hmm. And this was a time when I began having discussions with Idachio to create um, uh, some content for them. But the initial concept was for me to be presented as a, as a pianist and for us to look at my uh, artistic activities. But then we started having discussions about the whole spectrum of what I'm doing and uh there was a lot of confluence between how the Adagio team saw the kind of content that they wanted to create and my interest in mindfulness and what I wanted to do there. So we realized that it was really a wonderful kind of marriage of interests and kind of uh, our mission in the kind of content we wanted to present. So the fact that uh, Idagio has this extraordinary catalog and listener base as well, inspired me to create a mindfulness platform, not only for performers, but also for listeners. Uh, so one half of it basically is how to become a better listener through mindfulness. And then how can then the mindful listening process then make us more mindful in our daily lives. So that is the kind of whole mindful listener profile. And then there will be the mindful performer, which will be essentially what I described, the kind of performance psychology and meditation for musicians, kind of a, a personal performance coach in your pocket you know, teaching performers how to meditate, how to de-stress, how to practice mentally, how to prepare for performances with with the kind of mental game and how to master really one's mind on stage as well. So just the full full package of performance optimization through through you know, getting better acquainted with our own minds and training our minds for for performance and for everyday life. And ultimately bettering the world for it. You know, Nicholas? I should hope so. This is is a wonderful thing you're doing. Very, very interesting. You speak about sports psychologists. Were there any that stood out in your mind that were really, um, really affected you that really spoke to you? Well, one um, good blueprint for me um, in bringing together the fields of sports psychology and the contemplative practices that I had been studying was, for example, a book by George Mumford called The Mindful Athlete. And Mm -hmm. many of the world's greatest basketball players will swear by his training as being game changers in their performance. I think like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, such such, uh, athletes were really... Um, crediting him 
with transforming how they would perform on the court. And he was trained, uh, George Mumford was trained by John Kabat-Zinn, who is essentially the, the father of um, MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction. So this is the form of mindfulness that has been used in the medical sphere for stress reduction mm -hmm. um, and in both palliative care and so on and so forth has played a major role in, in the, just the general profile of how to live a healthier life, so to say. That, that's really when mindfulness became a major modality in the therapy world. Mm -hmm. So so that was very much a very good model for me in how to integrate these fields. And I'm very much trying to do the same kind of thing in the music world. This is so exciting. You know, your business card is really going to be full with your title. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's it's true. I, I, need, I, I need a business leaflet, not, not a card. Right? <laughs> I love that. You're, you're so unapologetically cerebral, and I love this. And I, I feel that you live somewhere out over the Atlantic which is mm. ideal. I mean, you've got one foot, definitely. You, you're, mm. you're like this fantastic European that's very, very at home in the mm -hmm. States and now Boston, which I'm thrilled for you for. I mean, what a cerebral place, but what a fun place too. So, it is, um, very much, yeah. You know, you, you can't always function in the cerebral. So what do you do for fun, Nicholas? Well, I go out when I can. So fun is usually with friends and and uh, and family and uh, yes, here in here in Boston, here with my girlfriend. So it's it's um, there's a lot of fun to be had in in our uh, communities. And yeah, the fact of the matter is that what I do as a pianist is a very sedentary activity mm -hmm. as is generally what I have to do at the desk. So uh, when I have free time, it will really be trying to get out of the space that I'm usually <laughs> occupying, um, whether it's to pursue any form of um, uh, athletic activities or just being out and about. Uh, so so it's definitely a, a, a change in environment that really helps keep the mind fresh. I want my listeners to all look out for Nicholas Namaracha on Idagio, the streaming service, and his wonderful journey into mindfulness and music and science and being a monk and the transformative <laughs> power of life, period. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas, I have to thank you for, for sh sharing all this energy with us on Center Stage. This has been incredible, actually. Thank you Amazing. so much. It's, it's always a pleasure to, to speak with you, Pamela. Thank you for having me on again. I look forward to the next time I can see you on stage playing and your fantastic, yes. uh, wonderful playing. I hope that happens soon. Thank you again, Pamela. I hope so, too. Take care of yourself. Good luck with everything. And thanks again. And um, all the best. Enjoy Boston while you're there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> to all my listeners, I hope you'll go to centerstagewithpamelacoon.com for more information about my guests and a gallery of my shows. And also to nicholasnamaracha.com so you read more about this fascinating artist. And watch for him in the future because I think he will be our guide. Nicholas, thank you again. Thank you. And everyone out there, stay safe. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage. <laughs>